Hello, everybody. This is Rob Fredette with the Podcast HodgePod, and thank you for listening. We're going to continue on this episode from the previous episode. I had Joseph M. Leonard on the previous episode. He's back again, and we're talking Die Hard the Movie, one of my all-time favorites, whether it's a Christmas movie or not, and we'll let you listen to it why we think it is. And we also talked about It's a Wonderful Life as well. Later this fall, I'm going to have a four-part series on It's a Wonderful Life, and I'm looking forward to that. For those who have listened, thank you so much. And you can always listen on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and every other podcast platform. I really do appreciate you listening. So here is this episode with Joseph M. Leonard as we talk Die Hard, whether it's a Christmas movie and a little bit of It's a Wonderful Life. And we also talk a little bit of some 80s movies. Okay, we're going to go now to the movie Die Hard and uh, talking about Die Hard 1988. The movie came out. I've already talked about Die Hard in previous episodes on HodgePod with uh, my good friend Sean Donovan back last year. But when you think about Die Hard, E.T. and Top Gun, you think about the casting of the main part. So Henry Thomas was cast perfect as Elliot Taylor. Tom Cruise cast perfect as Maverick, and Bruce Willis cast perfectly as John McClane. So Die Hard would not have been the movie without Alan Rickman being Hans Gruber. Gruber added that added level of confrontation. He added that level of, you know, meanness. He was ruthless, and he was up to par with the John McClane character character up until the very end of the movie. Joseph, would you agree or think, uh, Hans Gruber, if he had not been in that movie, that movie would not have been where it was. Cause I think he made the movie. Bruce Willis was outstanding, but without Hans Gruber, that movie would not have been as popular. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And like you said, uh, of Tom Cruise, Top Gun, putting him into the stratosphere of stardom like it did. Die Hard did that for Bruce Willis. And Bruce Willis is also one of my all all-time favorite actors. I I love and will see any movie he's in. Uh, same with Nicolas Cage, but yeah, mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage and Bruce Willis have had some low-budget kind of floppy kind of movies, but I, I still love them both nonetheless. But you're right, the Hans Gruber really set the film apart. Uh, that, uh, that almost really stole the movie. But yeah. what really uh kills me is the is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not? <laughs> and I've got the twelve reasons why Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Now, these are not my points. These are from although I've heard and discussed had the same thought of a few of these points myself. But these come from Picture House Cinemas. So giving credit where credit is due, right? Uh, first and foremost, I want to mention their number, not, uh, their number 11. The writer movie says it is a Christmas movie. Now, uh, you'd think the writers and producers would know their intent, right? So number 11 is, 
The writer says it is. In 2020, Stephen E. D'Souza, co-writer of Die Hard, made a compelling case that not only is Die Hard a Christmas movie, Die Hard is more of a Christmas movie than the seasonal classic White Christmas. So, wow, that's quite a (laughs) statement. But going through the list, number one, it takes place on Christmas Eve, right? Obvious. That's the obvious one. That's up there. Yeah, at Christmas means it's a Christmas film. Few would argue that Rocky Four or L.A. Confidential or In Burgess qualify. However, a Christmas movie still needs to be set at Christmas, and Die Hard the, hits that first test perfectly. John McClane's wife, and I've pointed this out several times, name is Holly. While in my book, Terror Strikes Coming Soon to a City Near You, Martin, the main character's wife, was going to be named Marina. Well, before the book came out, I changed it to Hope for a very specific and certain reason. The same reason the writers and the script, you know, the producers made her name Holly. It's a purposeful and intentional reference to Christmas. Number three, it's set at an office Christmas party, right? I mean, that's pretty obvious there. It's Catering, full yes, of sir. Christmas. Yeah, it's full of Christmas music, they say, is number four. Number five, it's a Christmassy family story, and I agree. A dad's to be reunited is their bullet point with his family on Christmas Eve is as Christmassy as it gets. I agree for that alone. It is kind of a family Christmas movie, right? Yes, I agree. And yeah, number six, now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. I mean, (laughs) if you're not trying to purposely make one, a, a comedic obvious opportunity, but McLean taunts the gang by staging a Christmas gag with the body of a terrorist he's just killed, a key <laughs> moment of the film that could only occur at Christmas. You know you know that part there where he's in the elevator with the ho-ho-ho shirt? I like the way during that movie where Hans Gruber just like flings his head. <laughs> like, like no regard, he's dead, he just flings it like no, this is something else. I thought that was so funny. It's just the way he just like, you know, had no regard for one of his guys. He just flung that head a little bit, you know, as not <laughs> as tyrants usually are, right? I mean, you've got a crew, you need a crew, but eh, they're disposable, right? Number seven, the villain is the Grinch. Another classic American Christmas tale is How the Grinch Stole Christmas, about how the Grinch stealing all the presents of the town. I'm reading, of course, from, like I said, Picture House Cinemas, 12, like the 12 Days of Christmas, the 12 Reasons Why Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It goes on to say, here we have Hans Gruber, who wants to steal all the presents from the Nakatomi Corporation. <laughs> So he's the Grinch. And I I agree, yeah. That's a perfect reference. That's the perfect line. Number eight, Christmas wrapping tape is a crucial prop. 
The climax of the story is the showdown between John and Gruber, and Christmas wrapping tape is crucial to how this plays out. I mean, this is brilliant script writing, and yet people still deny this is a Christmas movie. Number nine, a Christmas present leads to the villain's demise. The Rolex, it's not over yet. Just when we think we've seen the last of the Grinch, sorry, the Gruber, he has one last stab at ruining Christmas for the Gennaro McLeans, but all all safety thanks to Holly's present of a Rolex watch. That's a good one, yeah. I mean, this, this, you know, I love these script writers. As an author myself, I really appreciate the thoughts that go into these things that often go unnoticed by the audience. Uh, Like in my book, Terror Strikes Coming Soon to a City Near You, I use a lot of double entendres, not in the sexual sense, but wordplay, you know, and the same kind of mental, uh, uh, artful, uh, visual plays here like that to reference this Christmas story is brilliant. Number 10, it snows at the end, sort of. The papers falling from the tower create an illusion of it snowing. Well, you know what, all real quick. white paper. I, I don't mean to, as you were reading this and I was learning, I wrote that down just now. So that's, I have a couple right here that, Maybe not be on the list, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, you thought of that, too. Exactly. Like I thought of the name Holly thing. Number 11, I already said. The writer says it is. And number 12, then we'll get your point. See if you got any they didn't say. Data. So is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Well, judging by search data from Google, you all seem to think so. Search traffic for it spikes. Every December, just like it does, uh, oh, it's a wonderful life. It gets played over and over and over, just like it's a wonderful life. And the uh, BB gun, Daisy, you'll shoot your eye out, kid, movie. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you said that. It's a wonderful life. That's, again, one of my all-time favorite movies, too. Christmas Eve, I watched It's a Wonderful Life, and I watched Die Hard. So it's funny that you said It's a Wonderful Life. We just met today. We're doing this interview. And those are my two uh, movies. And then I watched Christmas Story, Alistair Sims on Christmas Day. So those are my three watching Christmas movies. So real quick, I know you said Christmas I'm, music. I'm with you. I, I, I'm with you. I do that, too. I watch Die Hard. I do watch <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life for the umpteenth billion time every Christmas. And also, an aside, though, every 4th of July, I discuss this in my Movies and Politics piece on The Liberty Beacon, as well as July 29th episode of my Constitutionalist Politics podcast, which was about movies and politics. Every 4th of July, I watch An American Carol, which is, of course, a spinoff, a playoff of of A Christmas Carol to tie this all together. Whereas in An American Carol, it's about a person who hates America wanting to cancel the Fourth of July holiday, who is then met by three spirits (laughs) to 
you know, take him from his errant ways. So those all tied together. Now, yeah, what what are your points? Did you catch any uh, they didn't give? Well, you know, um, I, I uh, during the movie, you know, they play Christmas and Hollis by Run DMC and then Dean Martin at the end. They had the paper. As you were, I wrote the paper at the end, that's a subliminal. But one that really, you know, Hans Gruber at one point during the movie says it's Christmas too. So he was in the mood of Christmas. I believe he was talking to Ellis at that point with the computers, you know, trying to break the codes. And I also think, you know, when uh, Gruber was eating there, when he was talking about like who's in charge, he was like, that was a catering party. So he was kind of like not invited, but he was in the party. So he was able to eat some Christmas food and showing who's in charge. But the one thing I really picked up was there was 12 terrorists. So don't know why I think this 12 terrorists, 12 days of Christmas. Don't know if that's uh yep. I don't Amen, know, if, brother. I, I don't know if that's, <laughs> I think- I, I've never heard that before, but you know, 12 terrorists subliminally, that would mean 12 days of Christmas, something outside. But I like the part there, you know, on that list that you read. I've never heard that, seen that list. Yeah. Well, I the think paper. they wanted to limit it to 12 because mm-hmm. of, again, playing off of the 12 days of Christmas. And you're right. I also think one that's not mentioned there, I'm pretty sure I'd have to go back to check. But during the interaction in the audience, too, Holly mentions a scripture uh, when he's, tr- you know, trying to play uh, the the friend to John and try to take the heat off. Uh, it, either Holly mentions a scripture or there's some sort of scriptural reference on her desk. Uh, mm-hmm. I've heard that. I've, I've not, you know, gone frame by frame in the movie to spot exactly what they're referring to. So, yeah, there are well things beyond the 12 here. And I think you hit it. There, the 12 days of 12 terrorists, so 12 days of Christmas, the 12 apostles. I, I, I think, the, again, we've shown the brilliance of the script writer here to definitely incorporate a lot of these hidden meanings that people didn't catch. And you caught one there, my friend, that yeah. I didn't notice. Yeah, well, uh, thanks. But, uh, you know, I just, it's just like little things like that. And I also think too, during the movie, when John was running around, uh, you know, the different floors of the building, even in the construction areas, there was like a little lit Christmas tree just to let yep. you know that it's Christmas. And regardless if it's in LA or, you know, he was from New York where LA, it's still Christmas. I mean, he got off at the airport. So everybody is going home for Christmas and they have presents and. You know, he had the big, uh, you know, stuffed animal when he got into the car with Argyle. And uh, yeah. yeah, so I thought that was uh, interesting. And uh, just the way that whole movie is just incredible. But, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty awesome. Well, it is a Christmas movie. Some people say it's not, but it, it is because if it wasn't at Christmas, then, you know, it would just be another shoot em up, blow em up movie. But it kind of like it ends with uh, Dean Martin. So it kind of like. Dean Martin singing that song at the very end. And uh, I think that was uh, a great, a great way that they blended it in with uh, John McClane and Holly at the end of the movie. So I find that, I I find that fascinating though, you know, what people think about the 12 days of Christmas and I mean, you know, why it's a Christmas movie. And uh, I thought that was uh, interesting. So 
But uh, Joseph, uh, I want to thank you very much for coming on. I'm going to be doing a podcast series, I think, in, uh, towards the end of the year on It's a Wonderful Life. Maybe you can come back on. We can talk about that as well. Oh, I would love to do I'm that. Doing, uh, I'm doing some research a- on that. And, uh, you know, um, that's a good one because you can play movie scenes on air because that's a uh, public domain. So you can play uh, scenes from uh, It's a Wonderful Life, another classic movie. So. Yeah, It's a Wonderful Life has a tie in my Terror Strikes Coming Soon to a City New You book. So I would love to talk about that. And yeah, I mean, we we could go on and on. The blockbusters <laughs> that came out, like Fatal Attraction. And more recently, there was a movie called Invisible that's a play off that thing. Beverly Hills Cop, like I said, part four should be coming, but sag after may screw that up. You know, you never know until a film actually hits its release date, something could get in the way. The Rambo series, yeah, Back and- to the Future trilogy, one of my favorite stripes. Star Wars, of course, Indiana Jones, which we just had and another you, one. And you forgot about that. You forgot about our friend Schwarzenegger, you know, all his movies he had in the 80s. You know, my favorite movie from... uh from his 80s was uh, Predator. That movie just kicked yep. butt. I mean, he well, was, I was just... I was incredible. getting to that. Ghostbusters, Roger <laughs> Rabbit, which set a a whole new precedent to filmmaking CGI and AI, Correct. which yeah. is becoming an issue today. Schwarzenegger, Twins, I've got that on my list. People are maybe surprised, but that was number 30 all-time grossing film of the 80s. Twins number. Th- oh yeah, and that kind of put Schwarzenegger. You know, because Schwarzenegger was in those shoot 'em up movies. He was in Commando, Predator, Terminator, uh, Red Heat. I think he was with Jim Belushi. He was in a couple of other movies. Uh, Conan was he Conan the Barbarian? I think yep. that series. So he was in those uh, movies, and I think it showed a lighter side of him. And then he was in other movies too, Jingle All the Way and Kindergarten Cop. After oh, I love, I love Jingle All the. Speaking of Christmas movies, I love Jingle All the. They had a second and a third. They flopped, and then they tried to come out with like a Tooth Fairy that didn't do so well with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. But yeah, Twins, I I was a really fun movie, and yeah, I got. Schwarzenegger to show a different side. And uh, lastly, uh, these are all obvious ones. My favorite movie is an oddball one from the 80s, and it's called Looker. And it's another CGI AI ahead of its time predicting uh, later Al Pacino did Simone or Sim 1, however you mm-hmm. want to call that, about AI and CGI going to encroach more and more in film. They don't really need scenes or actors. They can all be done by Cray Computer now, but Looker with Susan Day, yeah, of the Partridge Family star fame, 1981 Looker. Please look that one up, pun intended. <laughs> Looker, <laughs> 1981, great, great film predicted, uh, you know, the CGI uh, of what, we have today uh, that people, you know, the, the again, it just the the writers and the producers, uh, 
they're they're almost like the H.G. Wells of their time. Like I said, my favorite film of all time is The 13th Floor, Roland Emmerich, the producer. Based. It was a Matrix film, came out before the Keno Reeves Matrix uh, quadology now, trilogy then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it shows the brilliance and the foresight of, uh, you know, the, like they're almost fortune tellers like an H.G. Wells was, could write science fiction that some of which has become science fact. You know, they see these things ahead of time. And as an author, as a writer myself, I just love the brilliance of of these creative minds. Yeah, and, you know, Schwarzenegger, going back to Schwarzenegger, that movie, that's my favorite movie of his in the 80s, Predator. He was just like, he was just awesome. He was just like... That, that every scene he played in that movie was just phenomenal. Jesse the Body Ventura was in that movie. Carl Weathers. It was just, it was just the way that movie, the way at the end of the movie when he's coming out there with the his face painted, man, that just like, that was just insane. Yeah. But I saw something on uh, one of the shows back from the 80s and all the stars, all the actors that were on that movie could not have said nicer things about Schwarzenegger. He went out of his way to you know, be nice to everybody. And they really, I think you saw the product in the movie, which I thought was just uh, yeah. phenomenal. So I think my favorite Schwarzenegger film is The Sixth Day, uh, because that raises the issue of cloning. You know, there's those moral ethical issues. And uh, is this foreseeing the future? But you mentioned Predator. So we kind of come full circle again, because now we're back to E.T.'s. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and are are they a threat to humanity? Right. I mean, yep. I could see uh, a predator movie. Right. What was uh, the most dangerous game? Remember, man hunting man, which led to the purge film uh, series and the hunt. Uh, those really predator, I think, is an homage and owes. Uh, to the most dangerous game if you want to go back into black and white movies. I mean, those wouldn't exist without the most dangerous game. What uh, podcast do you have? Uh, Tell us about your podcast that you have and the book that you have coming out. Yes, thank you. I've got three internationally available books. I'm the holder of three plus dozen copyrights over many decades, but only three are available currently internationally. I mentioned Terror Strikes Coming Soon to a City Near You, which, uh, you know, people hear the title and they think, you know, is this not a remote blood and gut shoot? them up. It's an intellectual kind of movie. Yes, it's about terrorism, but not a book about death, but life and living. I like to say life over death, hope over fear. Like I mentioned, Marina's name was changed to hope so that literally in the book, both literally and figuratively, the book is about hope. See what I did there? Right. Absolutely. Just like Holly in the Die Hard movie. There's a point <laughs> and a purpose to that. You know, uh, we it, it takes years to think and put these things together. Faith over despair, love over hate, good over evil. Going back to a Christmassy thing again. Individualism over collectivism, freedom over tyranny, family and friends. And my second international book is How to Write a Book and Get It Published, Hints, Ticks, and Techniques, while that title speaks for itself. But if you're not interested in writing and publishing, 
Think of it like a tell-all book, although I don't mention any Kardashians. <laughs> I don't <laughs> drop any Kardashian names. But think of it as a behind-the-scenes book. If you're an avid reader, you got a bookshelf with a bunch of books on it. What did an author go through? My book isn't just a how to upload your book for free on Amazon. It's concept, writing, scene and character development. Like I said, from Marina to Hope and why that was necessary to what are your realistic publishing options? What does it take to get a book to you to be able to buy it and read it? Post publication marketing like I'm doing with you today, right? I'm here to promote me, my books, and yes, celebrate movies because I love movies. But yeah, I just started the Constitutionalist Politics Podcast in June of this year, and I just dropped on August 11th the Constitutionalist Politics Companion book because I thought, you know, those two go hand in hand uh, to those are obviously specifically dealing with fellow Christians, whereas the other books are not. So I thought uh, some heroes in my life, like Reagan, when he was president, he said, don't bring me left, right paradigm. Don't bring me liberal conservative paradigm. Don't bring me Democrat Republican paradigm. All I want to know is what we're presenting is up or down. Does it empower the government or does it empower, re-empower we the people? Up, up, down, paradigm. And I've loved that. Also, Dennis Prager talks about the difference between a classical liberal and an ideological leftist. There is a difference. But all those terms, liberal, conservative, left, right, you know, uh, Democrat, Republican, often evoke emotional, hysterical reactions, and you can't have a discussion beyond that point. So in the vein of Reagan and Dennis Prager, I said, I want to change the verbal paradigm and introduce constitutionalist, which is you, a Christian based U.S. constitutionalism, right? So fellow Christians, ignore the Democrat Republican thing. What do we have in common? We are going to disagree. Set aside those differences. What do we agree on? We should be working together on the things that we have in common. Well, thank you very much. Uh, well put. And uh, maybe we can hook up again in the future with another podcast about some more movies. And uh, uh, I really appreciate your time. And uh, again, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And people can reach out to me, josephmleonard.us. Again, that's it looks like Leonard. It's not French. It's Leonard without an O. Joseph M. Leonard.us is my author site, or you could go to terrorstrikes.info is my book, my main book site, and you can hit the contact tab at either of those to reach out to me for any reason. I'll be happy to email you back.
Thank you very much for listening to this episode of HodgePod. As Joseph M. Leonard and I talked about Die Hard being a Christmas movie and also It's a Wonderful Life and some other movies and actors of the 1980s. We have some interesting episodes coming up in the near future in the next few weeks, so I hope you give it a listen. Uh, Again, you can check out HodgePod on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, the Podbean app, which is my host app for my podcast, a great app. And again, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.